another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. Feels good to be back. Are you ready for another phenomenal show, boys and girls? I hope so. On the line right now is Captain Dan Handley and Mr. Doug Green. Let's bring them right in. I believe they are patiently waiting right now. Oh my, I can hear myself in the background there. Can you please mute your, uh, you know, your laptop, your cell phone, whatever you got going on there? Is that Dan or Doug? Whoever it is, I heard myself in the background there. It's very, very bad. Never good. And I, oh, it was Dan. Doug, are you still out there with me? I am. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Okay, great. I think Dan was listening in on the show. And uh, Dan, you can uh, unmute yourself if you'd like. There he is. I'd be as mute and unmute. I'm, I'm trying to find it here. Dan, are you alive out there? Yes, I am. There um, he are is. Are we live now, Michael? Now, uh, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm glad to hear your voice as well as Doug. We have so much to discuss here. And it's been a long time, but now it's very appropriate. Now we are here. 9-11 again. It's been 20 years. Holy hell. I know. I know. It doesn't seem possible. I can't believe it. So. Yes. And before we. Done. Yes, sir. And before we begin, I forgot to uh, do the introductions here. But Dan, I definitely want you to introduce yourself to the audience. And Doug, after Dan introduces himself, we will go to you. Uh, Captain, go ahead. Okay. Well, I've been on the program several times, so. Some of you may have heard this before, but uh, for those who haven't, I'll just give you a, a brief introduction and background on me. Uh, right now, I live in Islamabad, Pakistan. I'm a federal whistleblower. And no, I'm not hiding over here. I met, fell in love with, and married a Pakistani woman uh, in uh, 2010. I've lived here ever since then. But uh, I was a pilot my whole working life and started out flying airplanes over 50 years ago in 1968 at age 19. Uh, first flying civilian aircraft where I got my private commercial instrument and multi-engine ratings or license uh, by 1970 and went on to school, got a degree. And when I was getting out of college, the Vietnam War was raging. So I had to make service plans and chose naval aviation. And over the course of the next 10 years, I flew the P-3 Orion aircraft which is a four-engine turboprop that was used to track Soviet submarines during the Cold War. In 1978, I was hired by United Airlines as a pilot, and over the course of the next 25 years, I flew seven different commercial jet aircraft. All totaled over a 35-year career span, I flew 15 different aircraft and uh, accumulated over 20,000 flight hours. And since we're talking about 9-11, I'll just say up front right. that with my flight flight experience, uh, I can unequivocally state without reservation or embarrassment that I could not possibly have flown the 9-11 flight profiles at those speed and altitudes, and neither could the alleged Muslim hijackers. So that's it. That's it in a nutshell. In 19, I mean, correction, in 2003, I was a Boeing 777 captain out of New York with United and I spoke out on issues concerning 9-11. I won't go into detail because it's on a website I'm going to mention here in a minute. But I was uh, illegally terminated in, vice, in violation of racketeering laws, uh, thus destroying a 35-year career in aviation. But uh, that's a story for another day, Michael. Understood. And uh, Doug, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience once more? Yes, I would, Michael. Thank you for having me on your show today. No doubt. Uh, my name is uh, Captain Doug Green. 
And just to give you a, a summary, a brief summary, because I know we don't have a lot of time. We want to stay focused on the subject. Uh, I'm a captain for a major airline. I've been working in the industry for almost 40 years. Started out as an air traffic controller at Los Angeles Center uh, years ago. And uh, I had a military career uh, flying light attack aircraft, C-130s all over the world, and uh, a lot of the locations that uh, we, we've been talking about. And I've flown... Uh, I've flown many other different aircraft in the airline industry from the DCA to the 747, 100, 200, 747, 400, the 757. I was a captain of the 757, the 767, and the Boeing 777. So I have an enormous amount of experience in the industry. I've got about, I have approximately 20,000 hours of flying time. Um, you know, I've flown all over the world and, uh, I've actually flown with, uh, some of the people that, uh, have direct knowledge of 9-11 uh, with family members that were, my former co-pilot was, uh, his family was allegedly on American 77. Um, one of my former co-pilots also played the first officer in the, in the movie United 93. So um, that's just a brief, brief summary of my experience. And I'll turn it back over to you, Michael. By the way, Doug, are you telling me that you don't buy the official 9-11 narrative? <laughs> I do not buy that narrative. And just like Dan, uh, for me, uh, it would be absolutely impossible, even with my level of experience on all the different Boeing aircraft to have pulled off that maneuver. Uh, the false, what I, what I call the false narrative of 9-11. Right. And all these years later, gentlemen, there's still many individuals out there that have a, have just, they have tremendous trouble just trying to even understand 9-11 and how possibly there might have been some help. Yeah, I have four sisters that still believe the official story. I can't even talk to them about anything that I know. They have their head in the sand like an ostrich and refuse to even uh, talk to me about it. So uh, I can relate to what you're saying there. Right. Why, why are there so many individuals out there like that, Doug and uh, Captain Dan Hanley? Can you ex please explain to me after all these years why there are so many people out there with the lights on but no one home? Well, well me, go ahead, Dan. Oh, you go ahead, Doug. Well, for me personally, um, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in the world that we live in today is driven by the media. Uh, one of my close friends, you know, and, and actually one of the things I omitted in my introduction is I'm actually, I consider myself an American refugee, just like Afghan refugees. I'm an American refugee who was forced out of his own country as the consequences of 9-11. You know, I live in Germany uh, as my safe haven, and, uh, and but I'm in an undisclosed destination right now overseas trying to still make a living. But unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, I'm, I'm kind of held hostage in another country outside oh of Europe. Um, but nonetheless, um, for me, it's it's all about propaganda. In right. Hollywood and the big machine and to propagate this false narrative to the people who sometimes I often refer to as the sheeple who tend to be willfully blind and, and unwilling to look at the facts. Uh, the facts outweigh the alleged narrative uh, and, and the probability uh, that this actually happened. That's my opinion. Understood. Well, and Dan, you, well, and you and Dan, you approach this at a very different angle. Um, to say the very least, do you believe this has always been America's holy crusade against the Muslim world? Well, I believe it always has been. No, uh, it, we would have to get into my uh, perspective 
on the rationale behind the planning and execution of 9-11, which involved going into the Greater Israel Project and involved uh, how much money the military-industrial complex made off the wars. But going back to what Doug was talking about, you look for 20 years, both the government and the mainstream media have perpetuated these lies. I can't and believe people it. People have bought people have bought into it. I mean, they spent it. I I spent all day with the TV off, with not that I have it on that often anyhow. Right. But uh, I I couldn't handle listening to the lies being spewed out to these people and the people sitting there believing it, knowing how much I know about the lies of 9/11. So I I really didn't follow anything that was going on today. But I think that to consider possibly the United States and other countries' involvement in the planning and execution of 9-11 takes people so far out of their comfort zone that they won't go there. It's cognitive dissonance. They, they won't go there. They can't go there. So they shut, they shut out any information that's contrary that would take them out of their comfort zone, and that's the problem we have. Yes, I noticed that with lots of individuals that I talk to that are from the New York area, lots of them have lots of trouble even sort of flirting with the idea that this could have been an inside or an outside job, as they say. Right, right. Yes, it's too much for them to handle. Right. You know, and, I, and, and I think, uh, I think Michael, the, re- the reason for that is, is because the actual act of 9-11 and the actual narrative that's been presented was used as a propaganda tool to supposedly bring Americans together and, and to feel a part of this 9-11 event because the homeland was attacked by, quote, Islam extremists. Uh, and so it was used as, as literally a brainwashing tool and of indoctrination, uh, to promote this hype of, uh, this, this false narrative. I still can't believe and, it's been 20 years, by the way. Yes. That's hard to believe. Uh, it doesn't seem that long ago, but getting no, back it, to it, it doesn't seem that long ago. I, I, I can actually think of exactly where I was at the time it happened. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. No, I, that, that was all I was going to say. Uh, Michael, uh, would you like me to get into uh, what I'm dealing with right now over here? I'm not. A, I'm retired. I've been retired since 2003, but my my organization. Yes, go ahead and, and tell us about the organization. But then we, I want to go back to what Doug was saying about his recollection of that morning. And oh, then, then again, well, let's we'll, go with go with that, and I can talk about this later. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll go well, with let, that. Let me uh, let me just tell you where I was. Uh, you know, uh, one of the airlines that I worked for, uh, United Parcel Service. And, uh, and, 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 you know, companies like United Parcel Service, uh, and the dark money donations and the influence over our government that were, were basically our sacred institutions and regulatory agencies have been shut down by companies like United Parcel Service and in Dan's case, United Airlines and many others, Carmen Pettit with Delta Airlines. The industry's been compromised. And for me, uh, I was, uh, I was over the, the Yukon, uh, had, having taken off out of, uh, Louisville, Air, Stanford Field in Louisville, Kentucky, en route to Anchorage, Alaska. And I was over the Northern Yukon and, uh, in a Boeing 747-200 and, uh, air traffic control had, uh, advised us that, uh, all airplanes, uh, would, uh, land at the closest suitable airport or continue to their destination if, in fact, that was the closest suitable airport. Uh, and, 
so I tuned in a, an, an NDB, non-directional beacon uh, radio, which you can pick up radio stations on as well. And I started to hear uh, the, the, the narrative. It was almost like an Orson Welles story. And when I told, I was a first officer at the time, a co-pilot, and I was telling the captain what I was listening to, and he, he neither one of us could believe it. And to this day, I still don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, you still don't believe Go it. Ahead. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Dan. No, I I could just real quick tell you where I was. I was at Newark Airport at the Hilton scheduled to go to London that night and slept through the whole ordeal. And when I got up, I was supposed to meet my now ex-wife, my wife at the time, who was a United flight attendant, still is, in London. She flew out of Washington. So I went to call her, and uh, I had like 10 phone calls on my cell phone. And when I listened to them, it was like a nightmare. People saying, are you all right? Okay. It's so horrible. And I'm going like, I thought something happened to my two kids. Uh, and I couldn't get an outside line on the, the house phone and finally got through to her. And my wife was crying and she goes, it's so horrible. And I said, did something happen to the kids? And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? It's so horrible. What happened to the kid? And she, that was all I could think it was, right? And she goes, you don't know. I said, no, what? She goes, two planes hit the Twin Towers. They've collapsed. Another one hit the Pentagon. A United plane went down in uh, Pennsylvania. And it was, I was like reeling. And I went over to my window. I was on the 17th floor of the Hilton and threw the curtains open and saw that the New Jersey Turnpike was a parking lot. And I could see the smoke over Manhattan. And she's saying, you got to get out of there. You got to get out of there. We're under attack. So, uh, Imagine waking up to this and, and hearing all this. I, I probably went into semi-shock, but uh, yeah, I wound up getting over to the Newark airport that day and spending the day there before catching a train home to Atlanta all night because everything was shut down. But yeah, that was quite a day for me. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah, were quite scared at that point. It, it, it was quite alarming, that's for sure. And the yeah. action that was taken, you know, uh, by the government uh, to sustain the narrative uh, to ground all airplanes. You know, it was only temporary uh, for some airlines. Because uh, as a matter of fact, once we got to our destination, Anchorage, Alaska, despite the rest of the country being grounded by the FAA, I was absolutely shocked that United Parcel Service had the uh, influence uh, to still launch airplanes out of Anchorage over to uh, Narita, and I ended up going to Tokyo. Uh, the, the day after I landed. So they didn't even have to comply with this, these rules. And it was, in my opinion, just eyewash, you know, uh, to sustain the narrative of what they want the people to believe. And Doug, why Tokyo, though, of all places, if you don't mind me asking? Well, uh, you know, that it's, I think that was just because it was one of our destinations. It was actually somewhat irrelevant. But what was interesting about going into Narita, uh, you know, United Parcel Service is a cargo operation. And of course, you know, we routinely fly to, uh, I, I say I used to routinely fly right. uh, to Asia. I was targeted by UPS. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm an American refugee and a whistleblower. And uh, and they blackballed me, and they and, and they to this day they're still blackballing me and trying to steal my pension. Uh, I'm in a, a big legal battle with them. It's been going on for almost ten years. Oof. It's unbelievable! You should have told me yeah. sooner, Doug. I would have not had you on. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's a joke, crazy. by the way. It's crazy. The courts, uh, the courts are completely co-opted, and there is no justice in America. That's why we're watching this on TV with 9/11. Anybody that can, can get away with such a heinous crime, and there's not even a, a criminal investigation 
it's it's absolutely unbelievable. But uh, anyways, yes, when I got to Narita, um, I was I was shocked because you know we just saw we were there with all the other airlines, the American the, the other airlines from the United States, uh, Northwest Airlines, American Airlines, the United Airlines, and all those crews were grounded. But we were still moving the metal at UPS from uh, the United States overseas, and I, like I said, I, I don't know how they were able to pull that off, but but they did. Uh, right. And Doug, when you say you don't believe that we were attacked, are you saying that you're one of those people that believe it was a hologram? Is that what you're telling me here? No, no, no. I don't believe that at all. Um, you know, in my opinion, you know, and everybody's got a right to their own opinion. Yeah, I have a little expression I used to say, you know, opinions are like assholes, everybody's got one. Right. You know, and it's true. But but the point is, is I think the opinion of both Dan and I and other experts, uh, our, our opinions are based on facts. And uh, without a doubt, I believe that uh, there were airplanes that actually hit the uh, Twin Towers uh, and the Pentagon crash. And I think the airplane uh, that was allegedly destined for the Capitol, which in fact, you know, uh, crash short of the Capitol, United 93. I think that was intended to crash short of the Capitol. That plane would have never been allowed to make it to the Capitol by, you know, the United States government because that's where all the political operatives were. And certainly they wouldn't have wanted our, the political operatives and the K Street lobbyists and all the people that control our government behind the scenes to shut down our government regulatory agencies and our sacred institutions. Um, they, they certainly wouldn't allow them to be injured. And that's why that plane was destined to crash where it did in Shanksville. But um, nonetheless, I, I think those airplanes, as Dan and I have researched, uh, were remotely controlled by the Boeing on un uninterruptible autopilot, the photos um, and some of the video that you can see of the airplanes that crashed in the Twin Towers. And by the way, the two uh, 767s, uh, one uh, United 175 crashed in the South Tower destined from Boston to Los Angeles. And of course, American Airlines um, 11, that was also destined from Boston to Los Angeles. What a coincidence, both two 767s. And if you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast, you, I can guarantee you they were full of fuel. So they were heavy. And, their and the maneuvering ability of these airplanes to be able to do what uh, was alleged in the narrative, especially at the Pentagon, uh, the site of the Pentagon, uh, is highly unlikely because they exceed the max structural airspeed by 110 knots. And at those heavy payloads, and it would, almost, it would have been impossible for an aircraft to do what they alleged they did with inexperienced pilots at the controls that only, you know, had experience flying a Cessna 172. It's, it's preposterous to even think for a minute that that happened. Yes. But indeed, we, I truly believe that those were aircraft that uh, were utilized, and I believe they were remotely controlled with the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot. But in the video itself, you can see the pod on the bottom of the 767s. It's pretty obvious. And to those of us that are experts uh, in, in aircraft recognition and having flown the 767 myself, you know, it, was, it was readily noticeable. Uh, to a person uh, with the experience that Dan and I have. Um, what do you think about um, that, Dan? Well, um, the chat room will probably go nuts if I start talking about the planes, no planes argument. And I've heard both of them, and I've seen the evidence that both sides present. When I get into the organization, and I'm the director of, we can talk about what the function of that organization is. But, uh, yes, I've, I've seen both sides of the arguments about planes or no planes. And I don't take a stand on it because uh, not that uh, I'm wimping out on uh, taking a stand. It's just that I'm not sure 
I, I've seen the. That's uh, fair enough, by the, the way. The videos that the airplane melts into the building. I'd like to know who who uh, created the videos. Uh, I've also uh, seen uh, other indications that United 175 hit the South Tower uh, based on four independent photographs that uh, took a picture of the airplane coming into the building. So uh, I'm uh, as far as no planes go, uh, Doug. I I won't make as strong a statement as uh, as you do about it. Fair enough, Dan. I, you know, like, like I said, uh, you know, everyone has a right to their own opinion and based on our observations and our experience and what little we do know. Unfortunately, we don't have any witness testimony that we could, that maybe were actually in the building at the time. If anyone survived it, that could actually testify to if in fact they saw, you know, what they yeah. saw. Yeah. And as far well, as the uh, Pentagon goes, uh, Doug and Captain Dan Hanley, some people aren't yeah. convinced that a plane struck the Pentagon at all. Some believe it was well, a missile. What, what do you make of that, gentlemen? Well, you can look at the uh, site itself, and there's no wreckage. There's no wing markings on the building. The hole is too small. Uh, there's no, no skid marks on the ground, which would all indicate a missile. But then if you talk to scientists for 9-11 Truth, who claimed to have recovered uh, and repaired a uh, damaged uh, flight recorder and look at their data they have, uh, they could try to convince you that American 77 was there and did, in fact, hit the Pentagon. And again, I'm not going to say one way or the other because I've heard the flyover that dropped a weapon or there was just an explosion inside the building. So uh, it's curious. We'll never see the... Uh, 75 or 80 cameras that the FBI confiscated outside the building to conclusively prove it. Right. The other thing, the other thing, uh, uh, they confiscated was three cameras, one from a Virginia Highway Patrol car, another one from a Double Tree Hotel, and a third one from a Citgo gas station. Why, now, why would they do that? They're why? Spending, right. It was due to national concern, security concerns. Well, to me, that's ridiculous. It's just another example of the government cover-up of this whole thing. Yeah, that should make you very curious. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if I could, uh, Michael, I'll go into the organization that I, I represent. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. I currently serve as the director and international public spokesperson for a global grassroots effort called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers, and we've got a website at 911pilot.org and a YouTube channel at 911pilot. And the purpose of our organization is to show that there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of the 9-11 aircraft, but that the aircraft were electronically hijacked through employment of a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that Doug had mentioned, which enables a remote source to take complete control of an aircraft autopilot and flight management computer and fly the aircraft to the target. Now, once this system is engaged, the pilots can no longer disconnect it. That's the purpose of our organization. And our goal, and we've been ongoing with this, is to recruit highly trained and experienced pilots, whether they're military or civilian, active or retired from around the world, who will be willing to attest on camera to the fact that not only could these hijackers not have flown the aircraft and the flight profiles, but that they could not have flown them themselves. So we give an example on the website I just mentioned of the Pentagon profile. And uh, 
if you look at it, Hani Hanjur was a 29-year-old Saudi Arabian who came to the States in the mid-90s and did some training and did very poor and went back to Saudi Arabia before returning to the States a year before 9-11 to resume training. And he was such a poor student that Jet Tech School in Arizona wouldn't take him back because they didn't want to waste assets training the guy. But this guy, the plane took off heading west, got to cruising altitude, and then turned around and headed back towards the Pentagon in a descent. And at 7,000 feet in the descent, it commenced a 330-degree corkscrew turn, descending continually and accelerating to 500, 500 knots, which is exceeding, which is 500 miles an hour, uh, to precisely hit the Pentagon at ground level without skidding the surface. So, this, this maneuver was replicated in a simulator by highly experienced pilots. And every time they tried the maneuver, they couldn't, they crashed the simulator. So we're, we're being asked to believe that this guy, and let me mention one other thing. A month prior to 9-11, he went to rent a single engine Cessna 172 light airplane from the freeway airport in Maryland. And they wouldn't rent it to him because he couldn't handle that airplane. It was being led to believe that he was able to do perform this amazing feat in a 757 without skidding the surface at that speed. So uh, we're saying it's impossible, and he's the smoking gun. I mean, you could talk about the profiles of the Twin Tower uh, hijackers, et cetera. Maybe we can talk about that in a bit. But where are we headed with this? I can't go on without mentioning the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. A group of lawyers uh, in the state got together with the biggest whistleblower, 9-11 whistleblowers in the world, and they compiled 57 evidence packages and submitted it to the U.S. attorney in New York, Jeffrey Berman, uh, forcing him to convene a grand jury investigation into their allegations at World Trade Center Building 1, 2, and 7, and yes, there was a third building that was brought down, uh, were brought down by controlled demolition and not by jet fuel fires or the aircraft impact damages. So if you go to their website, that's Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, look at these evidence packages, look at uh, what information that they presented to the government. It's a slam dunk case. And if they got it before a grand jury, uh, they proved conclusively that it was a controlled demolition. Unfortunately, for the last uh, many months, perhaps a couple of years, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology are uh, blocking their case from moving forward, and they're having to go to court with it. But our intent, and I've talked several times with the, uh, the Lawyers Committee Board of Directors, and they're agreeable to look at our evidence, our pilot testimony that we've taped, and other evidence that we have, and presented, compiled evidence packages, presented to a U.S. attorney for the purpose of trying to force them to convene a grand jury allegation, uh, investigation and our allegation that these pilots couldn't have flown the aircraft and necessarily had to have been flown by the uninterruptible autopilot system. So we're not overly confident. You, I got to point out the only legal act on the planet is the lawyers committee. And it's a true test of the U.S. judicial system. And if they're not successful, then in my mind, the 9-11 truth movement is dead. So what, about a year ago, Michael, yes, uh, I uh, filed an FAA whistleblower report via their hotline. And I got a receipt via email from them. 
And uh, about a week later, I get an email from an FAA aeronautical engineer in Seattle who uh, said I was he was going to be my point of contact, and he wanted to set up a conference call with another uh, employee the next day. So then I sent him, I responded to the email and sent him a bunch more information because I had done a big data dump on the FAA with the initial report I filed. And he came back the next day and said, we didn't realize the depth and breadth of the information you're providing us, and we're going to need more time to look at it. So I called the guy, and we talked for about 10 minutes, and he was pretty tight-lipped. Uh, that was the last I heard of him. After I tried to call him back. He wouldn't answer his email, so I wrote his boss in Washington, D.C. She wouldn't answer me, and I wound up going back to the FAA hotline folks. So long story short, I spent working with other uh, whistleblowers from around the world actually providing information. We spent uh, a year submitting information to the FAA that would strongly uh, support our insistence that they initiate a, a detailed investigation into our allegation that these uh, aircraft were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled. And they acknowledged the existence of the uninterruptible autopilot system. We proved to them that it existed prior to 9-11. Doug Green was one of the pilots that's been interviewed by us, as were several others. We provided them YouTube video testimony of what they stated could not have happened on 9-11. They ignored that information. So about three or four weeks ago, uh, they said they were going to close the investigation. And I came back and said, don't you dare. There's more information and evidence forthcoming. And I decided to do a Freedom of Information Act request on all the information that they had gathered and all the documentation regarding this investigation. There was none. They spent a year stonewalling me, being deceitful and lying. There was none. So I wrote the Secretary of Transportation a letter telling them all to kiss off that because I had written him before. And uh, so what we're, what we're doing, we know the media the media has totally ignored the lawyers committee uh, and it should be 24 seven news coverage because it's such a huge case. Okay. They're ignoring what we're doing also. So what we've decided to do because the Western media is ignoring us is to uh, look East to the Middle East and South Asia and the media outlets there. And just last, just two days ago, I was on a TV station in Islamabad talking about the uninterruptible autopilot and other other issues pertaining to 9-11 and the lies. So that that's where we're at right now. And people say, so what are you what are you doing this for? What it happened 20 years ago. A lot of people tell me, give it up. The Kennedy assassination is being ignored. Uh, right. Why why are you still doing this? Well, 9-11 uh, was the greatest crime ever committed on American soil in its history. And there's never been a criminal investigation. And the 9-11 Commission, contrary to what a lot of people believe, was not a criminal investigation. In fact, had it not been for the next of Ken raising hell with Bush for a year, it wasn't until November 2002 that they decided to uh, initiate this bogus 9-11 Commission investigation. It wasn't an investigation. Uh, but... At the conclusion of that, though, so the next of kin had a series of questions they wanted answered by the 9-11 Commission. 70% of them went unanswered. And at the conclusion of the uh, 9-11 Commission, the 
The commissioners themselves admitted it was set up to fail. It was underfunded and time constrained. So there's never been a criminal investigation. And what we're looking for is our day in court because not one single pilot was permitted to testify before the 9-11 Commission as to the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that these hijackers who weren't qualified on the airplane could have flown the airplane. So the reason we feel that 90, maybe 99% of the global population fell for this story, number one, the government and media told them that that's what happened and they fell for it, but they're not pilots and they can't realize the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that they flew the aircraft. So that's that's what the organization's all about. I told you the website's at 911pilot.org. And uh, if you want to join us in this, because we have people from all over the world join us, go to the website, and at the top of the page, it says join us. All we need is your email address and uh, your name and email address, and we put you on our mailing list to give you uh, future updates of our progress. And we ask if you're a pilot, there's a comments box down there to put in what type aircraft you fly or have flown so we can contact you to set up an interview for you. So if you go, there's an About Dan Hanley page also. And uh, if you go to that, you can see a couple of uh, interviews I did on Malaysian TV that talks about the uninterrupted autopilot. And also at the very bottom of the page, there's an affidavit that goes into great detail explaining my illegal uh, grounding. So I could go in, I've covered pretty much stuff. I could go into what's on our, our website, but have a look at it. And what you'll see is we compare aircraft size, uh, one seven, Cessna 172 that they trained in to a Boeing 767, cockpit differences of the two aircraft. And uh, then we cover the hijackers' lack of qualifications and the flight profiles and claim they were too un- they were unqualified to fly the jet, too inexperienced to fly the profiles. And then we get to the remote control page, which right. I know I'm talking a lot That's here. Okay. That's if okay. I, if, I, if I could just go in briefly to a history of remote-controlled airplanes, because people are probably sending you crazy. You can't remotely guide a commercial jet aircraft. But few people realize that if you go back over 75 years ago, in 1944, U.S. military launched Operation Aphrodite in Europe, where they took old B-17 bombers, gutted them out to lighten the weight, and loaded them with 30,000 pounds of Torpex, which was a highly incendiary compound. And pilots were required to make the takeoff, but once they got airborne, they'd bail out of the airplanes, and the airplanes were remotely guided to targets in Europe. This is your first example of military drone airplanes, and it was over 75 years ago. And we've got a film on the website that explains uh, the Operation Aphrodite and mentions the fact that Joe Kennedy, uh, JFK's older brother, was actually killed on one of these top, top secret missions when his airplane blew up before he had a chance to bail out. But if you go down the page a little bit, in 1984, the uh, Federal Aviation Administration and the National Aeronautics and Space Administration conducted a joint crash test experiment in a remote location where they took a four-engine Boeing 720 commercial jet aircraft, loaded it up with crash dummies and and cameras, no crew on board, and remotely took this airplane off, flew it around the pattern six times, auto-landing it before intentionally crash-landing it. And the 
we've got a film there showing that as well. But finally, you get to the uninterruptible autopilot system itself. And proof that it exists is a Wikipedia article that is somewhat misleading because it claims that the system wasn't patented until 2006. Now, that's true. We've got the patent history on it. But we also have proof that it was developed, produced, and installed on jet aircraft in the mid-90s before 9-11. So there's four films at the bottom of the page. Go to them if you still don't believe what I've told you. Go to them, watch watch those films. And we don't say what happened on 9-11. On we say what could not have happened, and that is the hijackers couldn't have flown, flown the airplane. Yeah. And then we ask, ask the question, uh, was it? these poorly trained pilots or was it the flight management or the uninterruptible autopilot? You be the judge. You be the judge. Yeah. Well so, said, Dan. Well said. And right. just to piggyback Michael on a, on a couple things that Dan said. Um, one thing that uh, I, I just like to emphasize uh, one of the false narratives that's been propagated is that these pilots, these alleged pilots uh, came over to the United States exclusively uh, to, to train uh, on these aircraft, only to learn to take off and not to land. And, and they, it's almost uh, suggested or inferred that this, this very rarely happens, but this isn't true. I've flown with pilots from all over the world, from multiple different airlines. And uh, I, I know pilots from Asia to the Middle East to Malaysia. And most of these, a lot of these airlines, they send their cadets to the United States. Uh, for training and they send them to the United States because it's cheaper. And, and it's not because the United States has, you know, some uh, better training. I mean, the training in the U.S. is good. There's no doubt about that. I'm a military trained pilot. I also was civilian trained, but it's cheaper. And so it's not unusual from, for airlines from all over the world, whether, like I said, whether it's Asia, whether it's the Middle East, even Europe, you know, European pilots, you know, come to the United States. Uh, people from Central and South America. I have a friend of mine that grew up in Aruba and, and he in the islands, the Antilles Islands, and he did all his training in the United States because it was cheaper. This happens on a regular basis for years and years and years. People of all ethnicities, all cultures from different countries. And so this is not unusual. As a matter of fact, I know some pilots that trained in the United States, and I've flown with these guys, uh, that trained in the United States during the event of 9-11. And these poor guys were literally going out to get a burger at McDonald's late at night uh, because they were studying into the wee hours of the morning for their systems, you know, test the next day. And they were pulled over by some rogue cop who who bought into the narrative that pulled this guy over just based on the color of his skin. And he alleged he had a, a, a bulb out on his plate. And because he had a flight bag in his back seat, the next thing this guy knew, he was under arrest and he was detained for almost two days in solitary confinement, denied all his rights, no phone call, nothing. It was unbelievable. And there's too many of these stories that I could tell you that happened as a consequence of 9-11. So the point is, this is not unusual, despite the narrative they try to propagate. This is this is something that happens all the time. It's been going on for years. I know guys right now that are in the U.S. in training, okay, doing the same thing that they've always done. Uh, another thing that we need to discuss here relative to that is the, the maneuver that Dan talked about at the Pentagon was would, would have been absolutely impossible 
for some of these people's experience to pull off, much less even Dan and I to pull this off. Keep in mind, the, the weight of these, these aircraft, they were heavy. And, you know, to exceed the max structural airspeed by 110 knots and to allege to maneuver this airplane, they would have g the, the wings off the airplane if this was really true. And then to suggest that, oh, the, there's no evidence at the site, you know, the plane vaporized. Oh, but wait a minute. Here's a pristine green passport, by golly. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's like a drop-down weapon when you get pulled over by a dirty cop. It's a miracle. It in your it's unbelievable. But but to back it up, the comp, the consequences of 9-11 that Dan brought out are so important because Dan told you how he was stonewalled by the FAA. Right. You know, they basically have seized through the Patriot Act, through the seizure of our government regulatory agencies, our sacred institutions. The FAA has been absolutely compromised. They rubber stamp everything. There are no investigations. Uh, the regulatory agencies are literally now being regulated by the actual airlines and aircraft manufacturers that they're supposed to be regulating. Now, Doug, There's I don't want to. Doug, I don't mean to. I don't mean to jump off course here, Doug, but you know, I, I can't help but sit here and listen to all this and draw some correlation between 9/11 and what's happening right now in real time. Please do. You know, um, as a matter of fact, just just to, to piggyback on that comment you just made. Yes, sir. Um, when, when you look, um, you know, like I did a FOIA request myself. Uh, you know, I was targeted by United Parcel Service because I was a whistleblower. I was actually reporting their falsification of FA records. They were abusing the substance abuse program, um, targeting pilots with addictions to lie about other pilots, holding their jobs over their head. And now they're trying to promote themselves as this as this wonderful company trying to help pilots with addictions when in fact they target pilots with addictions so we can prove it. And 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 the and the FOIA documents, the Freedom of Information Act documents that we have on investigations like Dan had submitted to the FAA, there was no investigation. The FAA, there was no investigation by the Department of Labor when, he, when on my whistleblower complaint. The every single element of an IG investigation was completely ignored by the Department of Labor investigator Paul McDevitt. Uh -huh. He never said anything to the FAA, and the FAA just rubber stamped it. Well, that's the this is the consequence of the of what happened with 9/11. Whistleblowers have never get their day in court. Only 2% of all whistleblowers are ever heard. And Dan and I have discussed this at length. Okay, we, you know, we discussed this at length that 9-11, there's so many reasons for 9-11 and the consequences are enormous and they're going to continue to be enormous in the airline industry, which the FAA has the sacred responsibility to protect the flying public. But here we've got our own government using airplanes to, to kill American people for their higher and greater agenda. It's unbelievable, Please. but it's true. You know, well, you just, you, just admit, you just admitted that you believe the United States government was directly responsible for 9-11, Doug. Oh, well, I do. I, I firmly believe that with my whole heart after what I've experienced in the airline industry. And, you know, it's funny, Michael, because what you just said was, was really great, and I want to piggyback on it because – I was uh, I, w I was sitting here the other day uh, in a faraway land in the middle of nowhere because I'm an American refugee displaced as right. a 22 year veteran of the United States Air Force, and I saw this rhetoric on CNN. This gal, and yeah, I could just see in her face she yeah. she knew what she was saying. She says, "And today we honor the 13 fallen servicemen in Afghanistan protecting our freedom." 
And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is going way too far. You know, they're not protecting our freedom. Those people died in vain. They, they died because they wanted to have an opportunity to go to college, to get a degree, to better themselves. That's why they joined the military. They didn't do it out of some sense of service, most of them. And if they did, it was blind service because if I could take back every year of the 22 years of my service, I would. And they didn't, they died in vain. They died to support the military industrial complex. That's, who are they? Boeing, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon. The list goes on and on and on. That's who they, they died for. For this, for this machine to, to violate the sovereignty of free nations. How many, how many Air Force bases are all over the world? So I mean, many. I was talking to my wife. She's German. And, she, and I said, hey, honey, how many German Air Force bases do you think we have in the United States? She says, I don't know. I said, that's because there's none. I said, how many, how many Japanese Air Force bases do we have in the United States? I don't know. I said, there's none. I said, it's all about protecting the U.S. dollars. That's the right. Currency. That's all it's about. And they don't care about humanity. They don't care about human life. I mean, I was just, I was just laughing. I'm with you on that I one, saw, Doug. It's always been about an endless war for profit. Yes. Right. That's all it is. That's all it is. The United States government could care less about the American people. And I can, I could speak for that personally. After having spent over half a million dollars, and I still have had the opportunity to walk into a courtroom to judge the credibility of known perjured witnesses that were in a substance abuse program at UPS and lied about me and countless other pilots trying to do their job to protect the flying public. Never even got my day in court. This is America? No, America is a lawless country, and it's all for uh, show. Oh, uh, Doug, the reason they get away with it is because they know they can. The whistleblower exactly. laws are rich. The whistleblower laws are rigged, and as a whistleblower in the United States, you already mentioned the 2% figure. I worked with the National Whistleblower Center and Government Accountability Project for a few years, several years ago, and they told me that if you're a U.S. whistleblower, you stand less than a 2% probability of winning your case. And these mobsters know the system's rigged. That's how they get away with it, with impunity. Because if you're a whistleblower and you step out and you think you have laws and regulations to protect you, but more importantly, institutions of government that will enforce them and you find out you have neither, it's a pretty lonely feeling. And then it's too late. You've already shown your hand and they come after you. Now, whistleblowers either threaten you or they'll kill you if you're too big of a threat. And I figure I've stuck my neck out pretty far sand and doing some things of late. And I live in Pakistan where I was told it only costs about 50 bucks to get yourself killed. My God. Uh, yeah. And uh, I figure I'm not a threat to him because uh, I'm not dead. Hey, you're still alive. So, or maybe yeah, you're too right. far to get, Dan. Oh, no, 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 no. This place is crawling with uh, intelligence agents from every intelligence agency in the world. So they could have whacked you. Yeah, they could have whacked you any time. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, oh, my. Uh, I, don't, I don't sit around worrying about it. I just realized. I'm not stupid. I, we can use the example of Philip, Captain Philip Marshall. He was a United Please. Airlines Boeing 767 captain who had written two books on 9-11. One was The Big Bamboozle and the other one was War on Terror. And he was about to publish the third book. And he was getting threats. He was telling his neighbors, I'm getting threats with the book I'm writing. And he was so concerned that he hid the manuscript in his house and he wore on a keychain a USB uh, device uh, around his neck. And his neighbors found him in the house 
with his two kids and family dog shot to death and him with a bullet in the head and the police ruled it a murder-suicide that he had killed his dog and his two kids and then shot himself. But his book and uh, yeah, keychain device were, mi- were missing. So he, there's any number of people that have gone out as 9-11 whistleblowers. And these people that were the ruthless subhumans that actually pulled off 9-11 don't think twice about snuffing uh, somebody that's a tr- troublemaker to them. So that's, well, you know, think, that's think part, about of, the, that's part ahead, of the problem. Let me, let me just say one more. That's part of the problem in the world today. There's so much wrong and so many people are too afraid to speak out because, Michael, you live in a police state. That's right. 9-11, 9/11 brought about NSA wiretaps, the Patriot Act, and Homeland Security. And people are so afraid to speak out or do anything for fear they'll be labeled a domestic terrorist. Police will come kick their door down, take their computer, then they'll go to jail or something. So That's right. And Captain uh, Dan, uh, Captain, I got to tell you, and Doug as well, um, the correlation I was bringing up earlier is that all of this is happening again right now in real time. History is repeating itself. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing it all. We're seeing it all happening with with COVID nineteen with this right, virus. Right. We're we're seeing all this happening right now. Um, COVID nineteen was the perfect Trojan virus, or Trojan horse rather, not a Trojan virus. Uh, the, the perfect Trojan horse for all of this to unfold and to sort of take over humanity once again. Yes, I agree. Yeah, Some people, I do people too. will disagree with you. It's, it's another reset. It's 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 yeah. just another reset. You know, but as Dan said. Uh, it is so well, you know, it, it's just, it's unbelievable to see how the whistleblowers have been snuffed out. And Dan and I have talked about this at length and, and Dan and I are, are working together very closely to try to highlight the targeting of whistleblowers, especially in the airline industry, because pilots are terrified to do their jobs. At UPS, pilots are terrified to write airplanes up. They're terrified to call in sick for work or fatigue. Because they could be uh, threatened with her ter- discipline up to and including termination, and this well, is the even, problem. We can't. We, you know, whistleblowers shouldn't be afraid to come out and report violations. Uh, but this is this is the case, and and so Dan and I were talking about it. Yeah. You know, really, if you want to know the truth, Michael, one of the consequences of 9/11 is that whistleblower programs were designed and and, and allegedly promoted by these political operatives in Washington, D.C. called politicians, uh, senators and congressmen. Um, but, but really, the intent of the whistleblower programs are to lure people that would be willing to rat out the government or a company like UPS that falsifies FAA records and builds cases against employees that actually dare to have the audacity and force of safety and security of the airline. That's right. And abuses a substance abuse program. They want to identify these types of employees so when they do come out, they can get rid of them. Yes. They silence them, they shut them up, and this is a tool to draw these people out. That's right. all it is. That's and why these people that are whistleblowers never get their case heard. That's right. why Reality Winner, it's a funny name, Reality Winner, that's her name, and, I'm, and, and, and everybody needs to say it over and over again and Google her and look up who Reality Winner is. Um, she's a political prisoner by the United States of America, and it doesn't matter what regime's in power. This is It's not a partisan issue because we got one party in the United States that goes by two different names, and they're all on the same team when the lights turn out. I'm with you and on that one, Doug. Re- 
Yeah, and poor reality winner, she still, you know, she was she was let out on good behavior, but she's still but she's still uh under the jurisdiction of the Federal Bureau of Prisons and she hasn't been pardoned. And yet she and she discovered, you know, how corrupt the government is and how our election interference took place in 2016 by Russian election interference because she gave up one piece of paper that despite the fact that it was a top secret document uh, she disclosed it for the greater good of the American people. And because of her disclosure, uh, they, they uncovered the election. Yes. And Doug, I got to cut you off for a second there. Yeah, for a second ahead. here. Go and ahead, quickly, Michael. yeah, I got to quickly ask you, um, Doug, you're not suicidal for the record, correct? Oh, Michael. Um, I don't understand that question. Could you please elaborate on that? Well, you know, in any event that you might go missing or something happens to you, I just want to get on record that you are not suicidal, that you're not going to show up missing. Your mental health is intact, right? Do you have some concern? Believe otherwise? Well, no, no, you got to go on record, uh, Doug, because they suicide oh, people. Oh, yeah, that's okay. right. Well, like, you know, like answer, to answer, answer your question. Uh, my fitness for duty is exemplary. I've, I've had, I have a, I've had a flight physical for the past uh, thirty years. I've never failed a flight physical. I've had a. Uh, psychological screening on, uh, for multiple airlines that I've been working for over the years. And I also had a psychological screening with the, uh, uh, for the record with the, uh, to become a federal flight deck governor. Right, right. Okay. With the U.S. government. So, so my fitness for duty and, and my, uh, and my, uh, capacity to perform my job is not in question. As a matter of fact, I was vetted by Secret Service recently to fly the president, the former president of the United States family across the North Atlantic Ocean. So if there was ever a concern about my fitness or state of mind, um, I, I, that wouldn't have happened. Very nice. And by the way, for the record, I'm not suicidal. I'm in good health. I might have even contracted COVID twice already and survived. No way. I, it's wow. possible. I, yeah, I might have got it twice. Amazing indeed. Congratulations. I'm yeah. You survived. I yeah, survived. Well, yeah. yeah, my uh, my immune system obviously is very good. My immune system probably just laughed at the virus. <laughs> I'm being honest. Well, it's getting, true. getting back to what yes. happens to whistleblowers, uh, uh, about 10 years ago, I ran a, a radio program like you have here, Michael, and it was called Whistleblowing Airline Employees, but it really wasn't just airline employees. There were federal air marshals, uh, air traffic controllers, maintenance people, et cetera, et cetera. But almost without exception, the story was the same. It wrecks your family, it wrecks your finances. That's right. It wrecks your careers. It causes great harm and damage to you. And that sends a strong signal out to anyone else that observes it. Keep your head down or you're going to get it blown off. That's right. You're you're a great example of that, Dan. Of course, for those that don't know, you were terminated by United Airlines back in 2003, I believe, for speaking out on issues surrounding right. 9-11. Right. Let me let me talk about one guy and yes, then sir. I'll show you how it relates to my case. Everyone's heard about Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower that ran to Russia with the goods to show that the NSA was wiretapping people all over the world, including U.S. citizens, okay? But very few people have ever heard of Russell Tice. Now, Russell was a 20-year uh, military and civilian uh, intelligence officer that wound up working for the NSA and he observed this illegal wiretapping and other things going on in the NSA and he leaked the story to the New York Times. Well, the NSA found out about it, so he was afraid he was going to lose his job, so he ran before Congress to testify, but he said the 
information he had was so sensitive he couldn't testify publicly and he didn't have the goods to back his assertions. So the NSA pulls him back to the uh, the uh, organization, put him in charge of the motor pool, a demeaning job, in charge of the motor pool until they could find an NSA appointed shrink that would claim that he was mentally unstable. They pulled his security clearance and they terminated him because he didn't have his clearance. Oh my, yes. That's why Edward Snowden did what he did because federal employees have whistleblower laws supposedly to protect them, except for people in the intelligence community. There isn't any, there's no oversight of intelligence. That's why I say you're living in a police state, Michael. Yes, I am. Yes. NSA is out of control. All the alphabet agencies are out of control. They're watching everything everybody's doing. So yeah, well, I, you know, and, and and just to chime in on go ahead, Doug. jump said, in there. And and Michael, I wanted to thank you yes, for sir. You know, using that example of asking such a strong question uh, because you know the reality of the world that we live in is that that's it, the government and the government regulatory agencies and these airlines, if they can't get you by some other trumped up lie or, or, or falsely building a case against you, if you are doing your job to enforce safety and security of the airline, um, you know, if, if, if they can't get it to stick when they, you know, get pilots to lie about you that were involved in the substance abuse program because it's either their job or yours, then they go after your medical. That's yeah. what they try to do. That's what and they'll then, do. And then they try to discredit your state of mind. Right. And then right. they, and then they, and, well, and like in, in Dan's, uh-huh. in Dan, let me finish. In Dan's case, he, um, he was actually targeted, uh, same, same profile. Carling Pettit, uh, from Delta Airlines, who's an unbelievable story that's still ongoing. Uh, this woman is one of the most experienced aviators with credentials that are beyond your, your comprehension. You know, she has a PhD. Uh, she's, she's an expert in SMS, which is a safety management system. Most pilots don't even know what that is. And, uh, in Delta Airlines, uh, former, uh, one of the former, um, leaders and, and managers at Delta Airlines, senior managers, uh, who's now the FAA administrator, Steve Dixon. And, and Dan knows who Steve Dixon is all well, all too well, because he's the guy that's been snowballing Dan's efforts, uh, in this, in his endeavors to expose the truth about 9-11. Well, Steve Dixon also was responsible for targeting Carlene Pettit. And that's what they do. Does they he work for, um, does he work for Mossad? Uh, I really wouldn't know, but if you want to, if you do a little research into his background and you find that out, please, please put that on the table. But, uh, nonetheless, uh, it's, it's very unfortunate that we have people like this who are in positions of responsibility that are actually targeting the safety keepers of our skies, which are the pilots. And, and when you look at what happened with 9-11 and how they took airplanes and they compromised people's lives, and the safety keepers of our skies, it's deplorable to think it could even be possible. It's so far uh, beyond an average person's level of comprehension, they, they can't even consider that it could be true, but it is true. People like myself, Dan Hanley, Carlene Pettit, Gerald Brown, the list goes on and on and on. Pilots that are being targeted every day for simply trying to protect the safety and security of the flying public. Yes, it's ridiculous. And by the way, Larry Fenton in the chat says, why has there been no investigation of Larry Silverstein who ordered the fire department to pull it regarding Building 7? Well, the grand jury that was supposed to convene in New York, okay, the the grand jury is uh, 
not a jury trial with a judge sitting up there. It's a prosecutor and 23 jurors sitting in a room. And he presents evidence to them, and they they have super subpoena power. So if this thing ever were to take place, they could bring in Larry Silverstein. They could bring in Michael Chertoff, the uh, assistant attorney general criminal division that ordered all the steel to be hauled off without any forensic evidence being taken. They could bring in Dove Zakheim. So the problem is there's no grand jury investigation. I told you that the Lawyers Committee is the only legal act on the planet, and the justice, our own Justice Department is stonewalling it. If you go to Building 7, the University of Alaska Fairbanks conducted a four-year study on the collapse of that building using computer modeling and conclusively proved scientifically that almost simultaneously 44 supporting beams on that building collapsed, allowing a 47-story building to collapse in its own footprint at nearly the pre-fall speed of gravity in less than seven seconds. And the National Institute of Technology says, no, it was a fire that brought the building down. Well, never in the history of steel-reinforced high-rise uh, building fires has any ever collapsed due to fire. And on 9-11, they're claiming three did. So right. to, answer his, to answer his question, where do you go? Where do I go? Where does our organization go right now? When you get shut down by the FAA, when you go to the... I had written a letter, uh, a joint letter, to the National uh, Intelligence Agency, the uh, district, the uh, attorney general, the FBI director, and the secretary of transportation, asking them to join the investigation that we believe was going on with the FAA. Nobody answered it. I wrote two letters to the secretary of transportation. No answer. He received them because we sent them uh, certified mail. We got a receipt back. So where do you where do you take it? Who do you talk to? I, you go on social media and hear all these people debating issues on whether they're planes, no planes, nanothermite, directed energy weapons, etc. And we're getting nowhere. We're just deba- debating amongst ourselves in social media. So until you take positive action in some other regard, we're not going to get anywhere. I mean, for our, for our organization, we're going to foreign media outlets that are... Our targeted audience are Muslims. More than any other group on the planet, Muslims have been harmed more than anyone else. And we believe they will be very receptive. And our message will resonate well with them that there were no Muslim hijackers as a control of the 9-11 aircraft. It essentially blows the holy hell out of the official story and uh, leaves the government with a lot of explaining to do. So... Uh, we're, we're taking it to the court of public opinion and hope that we could garner enough support for what we're saying and doing and get on foreign news stations to spread the word because there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world and I'm living in Pakistan among 200 million of them. And uh, we believe they need to be enlightened because even pilots we interview that I was talking about on on Skype and tape recording the interview, they didn't even know about the uninterruptible autopilot. It's a well-kept secret. They don't even realize it exists until we brief them on the system and let them watch some tapes. So uh, that's one other thing I didn't mention on our website. We do have a series of uh, pilots that were interviewed, and they're recorded, and you can listen to their comments explaining how these hijackers 
couldn't have flown the profiles and why they could, getting into specifics. So, Understood. And, uh, and Captain, for yeah. those that are just tuning in and listening right now, this is probably, for some, for some people out there, this is probably the first time they're hearing you state that there were no Muslims involved in the hijacking. Um, do you, do you want to sort of explain further? Because I know there are people out there that say, well, there were, there, well, there was video footage of several of these alleged hijackers entering the airport. And, um, I'm sure they're wondering, what do you make of that footage or how do you explain that? Well, they didn't, they don't show them boarding the airplanes and there's a timestamp, date stamp on the video and it's absent, I believe, on the one showing one of the hijackers clearing security. So I, I personally believe, and this isn't the stand of our organization, but I personally believe that there were hijackers boarding the airplane, but that they were patsies. Understood. They got on believing they were going to hijack an airplane. And then when they got airborne, uh, the auto, autopilot was taken away, the airplane was taken away from because once the system's engaged, nobody can disconnect it. You're along for the ride. And their transponder that air traffic control uses to identify radar was shut off. Their communications was terminated. So these guys, I feel sorry for them that were in these airplanes. Uh, does this happen to you? Can you imagine having breakfast or a cup of coffee and all of a sudden your airplane takes off on you? Right. That's a hell of a situation. And uh, Doug, do you believe the same thing? I repeat the question. Uh, in terms of Muslim hijackers. Well, you know, um, it's, 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 as I was listening to your dialogue with Dan just a minute there, um, you know, it's just amazing because uh, – it's it's almost like discriminate. It's it's absolute discrimination against against people of of that have a different faith. You know, um, it, as far as Islam and the Muslim religion, from what right. I know of it, I mean, uh, this is these people are very devout to their faith, and it would be haram. This is the word that they you know, I've heard used uh, to to do such a thing. It's it would be an absolute violation. Uh, against their faith to do such a thing, but to target a pe- person, like I mentioned to you about some of the people I've known that have trained in the United States actually during 9-11, to target a person based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their religious beliefs is an abomination. I mean, you know, if you were over in uh, India, you know, uh, I- I'm not sure what your ethnicity is, Mike. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what you look like. I've seen a picture of you when you were younger. But, you know, I, I assume that, you know, you, you're probably, you know, a white guy, you know, growing up in America. And if you were over in India, you know, they could, you'd stand out like a sore thumb. That'd be just like targeting you just because you're white. What if I, the- Doug, what if I told you I was from Australia? Yeah, well, yeah, once again, you know, you, you, you might be targeted based on the color of your skin. You know, um, and but that that I don't see that happen much in in other parts of the world. Actually, I travel all over the world, and uh, I I've gone through customs and unscathed. I've I've gone through customs in the United States, and I've had my crew members actually targeted based on the color of their skin, and it, it was just an outrage. They were taken off to another office, another facility. They were questioned. Uh, to the point where I had to stand up for their defense and say, this is no way to treat a professional airman that just had a 16-hour duty day based on the color of his skin. Just My goodness. Just forgot to fill out a crew declaration. Right. Yeah, but this, um, this happens on a regular basis sure in the does. United States. Oh, yes. So I'm not surprised. To answer your question, Michael, I'm not surprised to see them sustaining their narrative by profiling people based on the color of their skin or their religious beliefs. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, uh, they have they have to keep that 
I mean, that was their whole justification for going into uh, Afghanistan was they were Muslim hijackers that uh, Osama bin Laden somehow managed to command these 19 hijackers with box cutters uh, to hijack these airplanes. So it, it fit the story and it still has to fit the story, which is why if we can show with pilot expert witness testimony that it was not possible uh, we would have to prove in a court of law before a grand jury very true. that it was not possible for them to have flown the airplane. It would be very damaging to the official narrative. Yes. But and you, and I both, you and I both know that will never happen, unfortunately. Right. At least that's what it appears because, uh, you know, in a country where it's a lawless nation, uh, you know, Tony Dokopol of CBS News not that long ago did an interview uh, trying to point out how the FAA as, as a regulatory agency has been compromised. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, people he interviewed, their air safety inspectors, their faces were blocked, got blocked out and their uh, voices were disguised. And, and he was discussing with them the consequences of these air safety inspectors actually doing their job, uh, enforcing, you know, uh, the airlines to comply with the, the required FAA procedures, airworthiness directives, things like this. And the uh, air safety inspectors told them irrefutably that they were threatened by their own agency uh, with uh, discipline up to and including termination if they didn't back off on the enforcement efforts against the airlines. I've seen this directly at United Parcel Service, the POI office in Louisville, Kentucky, the principal operating inspector's office is owned by the UPS, without a doubt. I mean, they pilot push. They've tried to force pilots to take airplanes that shouldn't be flying. And if you don't, then your job's being held over your head. And if you do, then then companies like UPS and other airlines, they self-disclose to the FAA. And so for the pilot, it's a double-edged sword. Well, look, can we talk about who did 9-11? Because I know it wasn't Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, and the whole crowd there. I mean, they implemented the plan. But uh, who, who do you think, uh, you two guys, uh, who do you believe planned and executed 9-11? No, who planned it? Because I refuse to accept the official story. Who planned it and then who was responsible for the execution of that plan? By the way, I just wanted to quickly mention here, um, let's just say these Muslim hijackers, the alleged Muslim hijackers, let's just say they went about and did this plan. Let's just say Hani Hanjour was like the Michael Jordan of captains, uh, Dan, and let's just say he accomplished these things and they knocked down the Twin Towers. And let's just say, well, let, let's go with that narrative, but that still doesn't really explain, you know, Building 7. Oh, right. It doesn't. No, uh, not at all. <clears throat> well, we already discussed how it came down. Right, exactly. And the ar argument there is it's the National Institute of Standards and Technology that the government's defending. As a matter of fact, just recently, um, they said we're going to close the grand jury investigation down. That never even got it got off the ground to begin with, and the Lawyers Committee is having to file an appeal to keep it open. So really, if uh, it, it got before a grand jury, it would be proven. I've looked at the evidence packages. You can look at the, the people that they're bringing in, firemen, William Rodriguez, uh, uh, scientists, architects, engineers, uh, uh, next of Ken, whose uh, kids were killed. Uh, uh, how about, yeah. Ian, how about, uh, how about the witness testimony uh, uh, 
about a bomb that actually exploded even before the impact. Yeah, and by the it, way, if you look at, yeah, if you look at, very sorry. interesting. Yes, it's very interesting yeah. you, you mentioned that, very Doug, because lots of witnesses out there have mysteriously disappeared as well, which is very well, odd. That's, well, that's William, William Rodriguez. He was in the North Tower. He was a janitor. And there were six sub-basements in the towers. And he was in one of the middle ones. And when the uh, plane hit, he ran outside because he was a janitor that maintained the stairwells. And he had keys, so he let firemen in and even ran up the stairs with them and helped rescue people. And right as the buildings were coming down, he ran out and jumped underneath a car. And a passerby who kept running saw him. I was under a truck, uh, get covered with rubble, and they came, came back and rescued him. I mean, the press caught wind of this. They were calling him the hero of 9-11, the last man out. His name is William Rodriguez. And so Bush catches wind of uh, this hero and wants to bring him. He brought him to Washington, gave him a hero award. He was surrounded by congressmen and senators who uh, said, hey, there's going to be a movie here. You're going to write a book. We want you to run for political office. So he goes to testify before a committee, and he was telling a story, and he went, oh, by the way, just prior to the airplane strike in the building, there was a huge explosion in the sub-basement floor beneath me. Well, all this fanfare instantly dried up. Everybody ran away from me. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. Well, uh, Rosie O'Donnell caught wind of his story and brought him on and was giving him some publicity. Publicity, But the last 20 years, William has toured the world. As a matter of fact, Argentina is going to do a documentary on his life. Nice. He's toured, toured the world, given talk to different people in different countries, including the president of Malaysia, Mahathir, Mohammed Mahathir, and uh, Hugo Chavez when he was alive. He briefed him. So he's a whistleblower. That's still alive. I've, several years, I know him. I've known him for years and I was going to bring him over here, but he needed a bodyguard and I couldn't afford to fly him over and he couldn't either. So I wanted him to come to Pakistan ah. and give the talk. So he's very but, expensive uh, then, in other words. No, he, I don't think he charges for it. It's just that, uh, he's got a, he says he's being followed by the FBI everywhere he goes. Oh shit. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Understood hey, Dan, now. Have you ever had any consequences in your travels, uh, by the United States government? Oh, yeah. Uh, about two years ago, this is the first clue I had that the government was watching me. I uh, was leaving. Uh, we were going to leave and go back to the state. And the very day I made a reservation on Cotter Airways via Doha to Atlanta, the FBI calls my ex-wife in Washington and wanted to know about my trip. My sister called me and told me this. And I'm like, what the hell? So I called my uh, <laughs> yes. ex-wife and asked me. She goes, oh, they were asking where you're going to be and how long you're going to be in the state. So I called the FBI and said, what's up? And they wouldn't tell me anything. But I told my wife, something's going to happen when we get to Washington. And sure enough, when we got there, as we came in the customs hall, she went over to the foreigner's line and I went to the domestic line uh, for, for passport control. And two minutes later, a man and a woman are escorting my wife over to my position and they pull out their badges and one was an FBI agent and the other one was a TSA agent, and they asked me if I had time for questions, and I said, sure, I was expecting you. So they took us over to a desk and uh, said, stamp their passports, and uh, when the guy got in the computer, he looked up to the FBI agent and said, hey, you know this guy's red, don't you? And they go, yeah, 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 we know. So 
they took us into a room and all all they really asked me was uh where i was going to be how long i was going to be in the state they wanted phone numbers for each place i was going to be at and i thought that was the end of it but a month later when we're leaving the state we had just cleared security dumped out into a real busy concourse now mind you they knew what flight i was going on i'm sure they did yeah of course they came walking up behind me and asked me if i could answer questions again and they took me in a room and this is where I was shocked because they knew everything about me. Right. They knew my Facebook profile, the fact I was in the military for 10 years. They knew about my Facebook groups and everything else. And they kept asking me, have you been threatened? I said, no, why should I be concerned about that? And they go, no, we were just curious. So I really don't know what side of the fence they were on. Yeah, that doesn't sound. It's kind of interesting, Dan, because uh, a a normal person has to ask himself, is this a customary procedure for, you know, someone from the United States coming into uh, their their home country or exiting the country, especially with your credentials? You know, guys like you and me, I mean, I have a top secret clearance. I mean, you just don't get a top secret clearance unless, you know, you're of sound mind and you're a good person and you and you have an honorable record, Dan. I mean, I know you had a top secret clearance, too. So why would our government be, you know, it, because, because, harassing? Because, uh, no, I, I blatantly told the FBI agent, the TSA agent, I go, look, I know I'm very vocal on Facebook. I bash U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East and South Asia, and I have for years. And uh, I also don't believe the official 9-11 story, and I don't know if you guys do. But Wait a minute, cool. Dan. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question about that. So, in other words, you are a person who has uh, a, a mind to, to think for himself and to draw your own conclusions. But that makes you a suspect. It makes that him dangerous. Makes you, yes. That that makes you dangerous. That He's dangerous. Your state of mind. Well, uh, I believe I believe I could be very well based on what I've said and done be labeled a domestic terrorist. Or be on some kind. I mean, I don't know what it means to be red, but uh, they've got my number, and uh, I actually uh, sent the link when I got the link from Michael to the program. I sent out an email to every Washington address, email address that I had, and it's going to be at 8 p.m. Pacific time, hoping that they do listen to the program and hear what we have to say. Oh, they do. So yes, yeah. Oh, the feds yeah. listen to this all the time. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, that is the truth. I'm not. I'm not intimidated. I don't care. Uh, neither am I. Yeah. That's okay. It happens. And well, you know, th- there was more to ask you, but um, Doug sort of he he sort of made me get, jump off course here, and but that's a good thing, uh, Doug. I appreciate that. Well, we're just here to contribute, Michael. No, I know you. You just made me think about all sorts of things here, and that's always a good thing. And, of course, we have Larry Fenton in the chat room, very fired up, by the way. I'm not quite sure if you have been reading any of his messages, Dan, uh, during the program. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yes. As a matter of fact, I've been mm-hmm. reading all of them as we've been going along here. Some of them are, uh, some of them are pretty funny. But, They're uh, very good. But, you know, yeah, he, I mean, he's been talking a lot about Dick Cheney. And, you know, I, I did want to yeah. ask you, you know, his involvement with all of this is pretty on the record. You know, you have Halliburton. Right. So what do you make of his company or well, being involved with the company, I, rather? They, they made godzillions of dollars off of all of this. But uh, basically, the Zionist neocons in the U.S. government and Zionists in the Israeli government polluted with MI6 and, and Mossad and the CIA. And those are the ones that actually, ex- this is my own opinion. Yes, sir. Based on everything I've read. 
They they are the ones that actually colluded. I mean, Bush was a dummy. Cheney and Rumsfeld were in there. They had uh, an office of special plans. They they knew years in advance they were going to invade Iraq. I mean, if you go back to an organization, a think tank called the Project for a New American Century, it was formed by Bill Crystal, a conservative uh, neocon. Uh, uh, they uh, they petitioned Clinton. In January 1978, uh, 1998 was a letter begging him to go into Iraq and uh, topple Saddam Hussein. And five years later, they got their wish. Yes, they and did. The same same think tank. Exactly one year prior to 9/11, they published uh, an article, a paper called "Rebuilding uh, America's Defenses." And in that paper, they claimed they had the need for a new Pearl Harbor That's right. as a catalyzing event that would harbor U.S. public support for any adventures, the military adventures they had in the future. So I'm glad they you got said their, that. They got their Pearl Harbor uh, a year later. So, right. And I'm, and I'm glad you're saying that. Um, I'm glad you are aware of the multiple war games that were, that were going on, the terror drills that were happening on the morning of 9-11. You know, many Americans out there are still very unaware about the war games that were going on during that morning of 9-11, including a live fly exercise using real planes. And, of course, all this goes under the radar. Of course, we have NORAD. You know, we could go really deep into all of these things. And, of course, Dick Cheney and the Bush administration, they always sort of downplayed that any of this even happened. So that's kind of a dead giveaway that all this yeah. was planned very much like COVID-19. But that's a whole other story. I'm sorry. I even brought that up. Right. 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 Uh, and then- you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting, too, when you look at this, because, uh, you know, I've been I've been watching it here overseas where I'm located. And, uh, you know, I, I saw Bush and, you know, as Dan earlier said, you know, for me, you know, Cheney was the brains behind he most been. of this. And, and but uh, Bush was just the mouthpiece, and you know, and we talked about this once before, Michael, uh, on one of our previous shows, in which it just just the actual it, the whole thing looked staged to me when he went into the classroom and somebody comes up and whispering his ear and the <laughs> yes. facial expression and yeah, the whole thing just looked staged. The but dumbfounded look on his face, right? And he even admitted he knew months before this was going to happen. He even admitted on TV re- just recently today, actually. Well, nonetheless, you know, 20 years later, you know, he talked about, you know, uh, how these people alleging Muslim extremists, Islam extremists, you know, flew across the North Atlantic Ocean. And they had no they had total disregard for human life and national symbols. And, you know, this is the image. Now, keep in mind that the age of, of, of young people today who some of the young people weren't even born yet. And now they're trying to convince them. Uh, this narrative of 9-11 with this new generation now who aren't even born um, are being brainwashed That's right. with, this for, with this false hype and propaganda and to strictly support the profits of what? The military-industrial complex. That's right. Because you got to keep greasing that oil, my friend. you got to keep pumping in the, the poppy fields, you know, you know, uh, let me just say this, and I apologize again. I'm, I'm going off these wild tangents because, you know, you, you filled my head with so much, um, so many memories here, uh, Captain and Doug, both of you did. And we all know by now what was ushered in after the events of 9-11, what ensued, a long list of policies, 
like the U.S. Um, Patriot Act, the ongoing wars right. in the Middle East. We, we never left. You know, even to this day, the war rages on out there. Millions of Americans dead for a pointless conflict falsified under um, inaccurate information, to say the very least. And, of course, we were given all these sort of reports that were just bullshit. Let's just be honest. They call it what it yeah. is. You know, you know, just just to share with you a recent event that one of my colleagues that told me about, uh, you know, you talk about the Patriot Act. There are so many consequences of the Patriot Act uh, and their ability yes. to violate basic, basic rights. And look what happened to Dan. A basic right in unlawful search and seizure without probable cause to stop him and his wife from what they were doing. And, and it was under the auspices, I'm sure, of the Patriot Act. But one of my colleagues just recently simply tried to open a bank account in the United States, and uh, he was denied. He, he was absolutely denied. And it says, hi, Kevin, thank you for your interest in our bank. Unfortunately, we're unable to open an account for you at this time. This is a result of our inability to verify certain information that is required under the Patriot Act. You know, now they use this excuse to track our every move, to track our every our every dollar spent, every dollar we have under the auspices of the Patriot Act. And everybody is a potential terrorist. That's everybody right. is a potential threat. And they use this idea of money laundering and this, that and the other as an excuse under the Patriot Act to control every single aspect of our life, to even open a bank account. Yes, it's disgusting. Then there's the Transportation Security Administration, where they run security tests to see test the integrity of the system, and the Transportation Security Administration fails about 96% of those tests. And then you got to ask yourself, how many terrorists have they actually caught in the last 20 years coming through security? So it's all window dressing, and it's designed to help perpetuate this fear that when you're getting on an airplane, there could be a a terrorist on board with you. So it's a big waste of money. I think TSA is a big part and uh, people fall apart and they stand in the long lines at the airport. It's so, a joke. Uh, it's a joke. We could be honest. Yeah. It, it's, it's a complete joke. And, and I, one thing I wanted to just emphasize when I mentioned my, my colleague, who's a very respectable, uh, you know, American and uh, just living abroad, he's, he's actually, you know, an American dissident just like me. And most of the people that, you know, are from the United States that I work with abroad have left the United States for the same reason I have. Um, and but this didn't happen to him just once. What I just told you about trying to open a bank account. It happened to him multiple times at different banks. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. The second bank says right here, he sent this to me. He says, um, sorry, uh, but we cannot open your account. Uh, we use the information you provide to verify your identity as directed by the U.S. Patriot Act. We're sorry we couldn't move forward with your application and apologize for the inconvenience. Yeah, but it's, it's unbelievable because he provided them with proper identification that most people would. But because he lived abroad, he was denied because of the Patriot Act. Right. Well, that's happening now, and you don't even have to be a quote-unquote terrorist to be denied service. But that's a whole other story. And um, by the way, President Joe Biden, he did visit Ground Zero today. I have no idea why. I don't think he has any business setting foot uh, at Ground Zero, to be completely honest with all of you out there listening to this. It's um <laughs> pretty gross that he was actually there. I'm not sure if you both feel the same way as I do, though. Yeah, why? Qualify, qualify that. Just qualify that for us so we can determine your state of mind and your thinking in that on that point. Well, it was kind of a joke. It's kind of being a little sarcastic in, what, uh, in, in the terms of, yeah. you know, 
Joe Biden there. Um, but yes, yeah. I really do believe that it's quite disgusting that he was out there. I, I feel like he had no business being there. Well, you know, for me, it, it, it just, when I'm, it's still on TV, you know, where I'm at, you know, I, I can't help but just kind of follow it. It's just, it's just a big PR stunt. That's all it is. It's just a big PR stunt to push the narrative to the, the past, present, and future generations to come. Yes. Well, remember, he is the guy that sort of surrendered to the enemies who attacked uh, us on 9-11, as they say. But that's if you believe the official quote-unquote narrative. Um, kind of like how when you saw Joe Biden and President Obama and Hillary all watching the footage of Obama bin Laden. Obama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden. Do you like the way I did that? I was trying to make you guys laugh, but no one laughed. Um, but yes, they were watching in real time the compound housing of bin Laden in real time being assaulted. Um, do, do you believe that was actual footage, by the way? Do you think that was legit? Or was that another PR stunt? Well, the Pakistan government admits that he was there, but I don't know. I personally find it real difficult believing the story, uh, the way they dumped his body at sea. I feel like that was yeah. staged, by the way. The, the whole uh, scene, yeah. you know, Biden looking, you know, concerned, and you have... Obama right there looking really concerned as well. And of course, you have Hillary covering her mouth and just shocked. You know, you know, the thing about it is, Michael, and in, in, in accordance with what you're saying and what Dan just said, the dilemma that we're faced with in the United States of America uh, today uh, is that nobody knows what truth is anymore. Nobody knows what's real. Our courts have been compromised. We have Federalist Society judges that that have life-term appointments. Our regulatory agencies are compromised. Nobody knows what truth is. And when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom. Right. What kind of words are we talking about? We're talking about truth, integrity, honor, justice. You know, when words lose their meaning. You know, it's like, like for instance, at United Parcel Service, they have a code of conduct. They talk about integrity. They talk about no retaliation. You know, they talk about accuracy and records and how they're such a great company and we promote this, we promote that. But their words are empty because they don't back these words up because, in fact, they actually target their employees just like other airlines do, just like United targeted Dan, just like Delta targeted Carling Pettit. The list goes on and on and on. Words have lost their meaning in the United States. But yet the United States, they propagate to the rest of the world. Like at the recent Munich Security Conference in Germany, you know, on, on how we are the template of democracy. But no, the United States is not the template. It's, it's, the United States is the template of a lawless country that has no system of justice that works for the people. One percent of all cases ever get into a courtroom. I had to spend over half a million dollars and, uh, and to to try to get into a courtroom, and I never got my day in court. I never even got to walk into the trial court. But I wrote briefs all the way to the United States Supreme Court that fell on deaf ears. And we have mountains of evidence, 6,000 pages of evidence beyond reasonable doubt. The United Parcel Service abuses their substance abuse program to target pilots that actually do their job. How is this possible? How is it possible in the United States of America that claims this is the land of life, liberty, and justice for all? Injustice for none. It doesn't exist. This is what's sad. And these are the consequences of 9-11. Oh, yes. That's the ugly truth of it all. And the agendas that came about. And again, we're still seeing um, the after effects of all this in real time. 
I'd jumping to another topic. Yeah, go ahead. Before. Move us along. Move us along here. I, I believe. I believe the reason that so many people still embrace the official story is because they don't have an alternative and they can't possibly accept the fact that the U.S. government was involved in the planning and execution of 9-11. And uh, all you need to do is go back and talk about Operation Northwood in 1962. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they were trying to come up with a reason for invading Cuba and overthrowing Castro. And in 1962, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff presented a plan to the, Depart uh, the Secretary of Defense who presented it to Kennedy. And what it involved was the U.S. attacking, uh, doing terrorist attacks against their own people. They were going to attack uh, a U.S. ship in international waters. They were going to attack Guantanamo. They were going to attack a city. They were even going to hijack airplanes. Uh, as an excuse, and it was going to kill people too, as an excuse to uh, invade Cuba. And uh, Kennedy turned it down. He said he didn't want any part of it. And you could jump ahead to the Gulf of Tonkin incident that got us into the Vietnam War that killed 58,000 U.S. soldiers and 3 million Vietnamese. Uh, they lied about a, supposedly a torpedo boat attacked the USS Maddox in the Gulf of Tonkin off the coast of Vietnam. It was a lie fabricated to give the United States an excuse to go into Vietnam and that got off a war. And you can talk about the U.S. Liberty incident. I could go on and on about these false flags That's right. that were planned, planned and executed by the U.S. government. And 9-11 was just one more, one more case of it. Yes. As is, as is uh, this COVID thing. Yes, one well, of you, know, you know, and I like the expression you just used, Dan, is uh, false flags. And uh, our, the United States government has set the precedent that it's okay to present false flags. It's okay to lie, to cheat, and steal. We, we've basically evolved into the, the United States of America has evolved into a country that promotes uh, systemic syndicated crime, RICO Act, RICO Act crime. Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization Act crimes. You, you know it for yourself, Dan. You saw it in your experience with United Airlines in Chicago. I've seen it with my experience uh, with the United Parcel Service. You know, UPS owns the courts. They, the judges are all in their wallet. Um, I can't. I can't even get my pension plan money uh, without that I've earned because UPS wants to try to steal 50% of it, knowing that I cannot defend myself. Because I, I I don't have the billions and billions of the dollars they do as David taken on Goliath, and so they can violate our rights and freedoms with impunity. And these false flags that they present, building false cases and false narratives, and, and targeting people with addiction problems to lie about good employees, it's just unbelievable. I wonder what Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or organizations like that would think about companies like in the airline industry, like United Parcel Service, what they would think about them targeting substance abusers and coercing them to lie about other people. These are all the consequences of 9-11. These, all these consequences have evolved and our regulatory agencies have been compromised because the United States government has suggested to these dark money uh, corporations, you know, UPS is the fourth largest dark money donor to the Grand Master, which is Mitch McConnell, uh, who has basically overtaken our regulatory agencies and our system of justice so that Americans never see the light of day of a courtroom. 
Richard Blumenthal said every American deserves their day in court. That's Guess true. Guess what, Senator Blumenthal? Guess what, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who touts how all about dark money, but he doesn't do anything about it. I tried to talk to all these guys. I I, I spoke to uh, Sheldon Whitehouse's uh, uh, administer for veterans about problems that I've had in trying to you know, access the justice system. What America would, would you think would have to take write briefs all the way to the United States Supreme Court and spend over half a million dollars just to get their day in court, like Senator Blumenthal suggests we deserve, but we don't get it. It's all for show. And it's funny, guys, because um, this evolution of the consequences of 9-11, they're just propagating the great American lie to the world as we know it for generations to come. Because I have young first officers that I fly with, and they say, well, Captain, Captain, come on. I mean, the United States is the template of justice. I, I said, why do you say that? Well, I, he, they say, well, I see, I see it on TV. I watch Law and Order all the time. That's one of my favorite shows. And I told him, that's exactly right. You just said it. It's a show. It's all for show because Americans never get their day in court. It just doesn't happen. And uh, it's propagated by the big machine, Hollywood. That's what my my colleague, I was telling you about the Patriot Act and how he was denied his ability to even open a simple bank account because he lives overseas. Um, He he always says, Hollywood, you know, and that's what it's about. It's it's all for show. This is how they sell the false narrative. Right. What do you think about Hollywood, Dan? Well, I think Mel Gibson had it right when he was talking about who controlled it. And I think... That's why Spike Lee had to pull the controversial part of his film because those who control it are the same one that made that bogus propaganda film, uh, United 93 after, uh, after 9-11, uh, which was totally ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I, you can go back, uh, as far as who controls the media in the United States. In 1983, there were over 50 independent news media outlets in the United States. Uh, today, there are only six major media conglomerates that control 96% of the news you read, see, or hear. And if you look, in 1983, Israel launched a project called the Hezbollah Project, and it was to gain control and influence on the media in the United States, including Hollywood, to cast a favorable light on the nation state of Israel. And they've been successful. If you go and look at the management structure of these six media conglomerates. It's controlled uh, by uh, Zionists, Israeli Zionists. So, yes, and, and um, Doug, what do you make of these Israelis that were arrested after 9-11? You know, I really can't comment on that, uh, Michael, because I, I just I really don't know that much about it. Um, but I'll now that you raised the question, I will research it. And then you can ask me that question. Ah, no, it's okay. I was just going to quickly say there was a lot of Israelis that were detained um, shortly after 9-11 following the whole um, Patriot Act. Interesting. Yeah, they got caught you know, up. Just, just to kind of tag along on what Dan said yes, sir. Know, about Hollywood. And Go back to Hollywood, yes. I, I, I was reading, you know, the article, and, and I was actually quite shocked when I saw the news story about uh, the undue influence on Spike Lee. Yes, the Spike Lee uh, documentary. I didn't get a chance to um, watch yeah. it myself, but it did make quite a bit. It made quite a bit of a splash, and apparently, he removed some sort of um, some sort of conspiracy theories that he was throwing out there. I'm not quite sure what that was all about, but it was removed from what I read. 
Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that that you bring that up because, you know, when I saw some of the footage, actually, and Dan and I had talked about this. uh, As a matter of fact, I sent Dan some pictures of some of the footage that uh, is actually also on the 911pilots.org website uh, where uh, there was a a gentleman being interviewed at the scene uh, of uh, 9-11 at Ground Zero. And uh, he was he was explaining what he heard and what he saw. Uh, he talked about the explosion before the impact, and then he was ushered away by FBI. FBI came up to him. He acted like he was actually trying to show concern for the guy that he was injured. But no, he was he was putting his arm around him and pu- pulling him away from this interview. You know, they were corralling these people because they were trying to control uh, what they had to say. And so, just like with the whistleblowers yes, that sir. are targeted, when they try to do uh, what they're supposed to do in reporting safety violations and security concerns, you know, Dan will tell you about the security at the airports before, uh, in a, after 9 11 and how pathetic it was. Uh, it was a joke. But nonetheless, look what happened to Spike Lee. It's no different. Yeah, they were, he was strong armed, just like Mel Gibson. You know, if, hey, if you've got an opinion, if you're going to actually speak what, what your opinion is or what some people might perceive to be the truth, uh, you know, we're going to shut you down. We're uh-huh. going to shut you By up. the way, Doug, I, I see the issue now. I see the issue now. I'm seeing that um, he had interviewed several members of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, and I guess they did not want that in the documentary. They did not like the idea that jet fuel doesn't melt steel. Well said. And you know what's interesting about that is that, you know, in America, why wouldn't we want to hear every side? That's why right. does one side get to sustain um, a, a narrative, but the other side, if, if their opinion is sustained as, oh, you're a conspiracy. Oh, conspiracy guy. Yep. Ooh. Can't hear hey, that yeah, shit. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should call them conspiracy realists based on the facts. That's well, true. Well, you know, cons- conspiracy has, the word itself has been bastardized as a result of all these events. That it, it, It's it's a legitimate word. What's a conspiracy? It's when two or more people get together to mischievously plan harm That's right. to other individuals. And uh, Doug, people word. go, pe- people get arrested for conspiracies all the time. Yeah, exactly. So what yeah, but the, the term the term was coined by the CIA That's after right. Kennedy's assassination to discredit uh, people coming forward with facts to denigrate the validity of their assertions. So it's yeah, a CIA point. CIA ploy to portray them as a bunch of uh, tinfoil hat nutcases that don't know oh, what yeah. they're talking about. Yeah, so. yeah, you know, you know, actually, one of the guys that lied about me at United Parcel Service, you mentioned tin foil. Um, this guy, he had stole tens of thousands of dollars from the company in fraudulent moving expenses, and he also had a problem with alcohol abuse. And uh, this guy was actually, I've got a photo of him where he was actually wearing a tin foil hat in the airplane. And, Interesting. You know, it, I guess he was tuned in, you know, but but nonetheless, they they try to discredit you and your character and your state of mind because of your beliefs and and based on facts. I have facts showing this guy's got a loose screw and he stole from the company and he had a reason to lie um, about me. And 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 the in the case that was manufactured, we can prove without a doubt. Uh, that uh, their security representative, Jennifer Robbins at United Parcel Service, sought out guys to lie about me, and they made up these fictitious stories, these fantastical stories that never existed. Now, why does that happen in the United States of America, a country that purports law and order? Every person gets their day in court, life, liberty, and justice for How is it possible that a large corporation like United Parcel Service, United Airlines, Delta, how is it possible that they have so much power 
over the system, especially when they know that if a person like Dan or like myself actually got our day in court, they would be destroyed. They know it. We've got so much evidence. They know it. So they, they have the power to control the justice system through these life-term judicial appointments, through their control of the Department of Labor investigators, through the rubber stamps at the FAA, through the FAA looking the other way and not enforcing airworthiness directives and not enforcing the airlines when they falsify FAA records. UPS falsifies logbooks, personnel files. I have tons of examples in which they were falsifying records, and they're an absolute hazard to the aviation industry. That's why they've had so many crashes and incidents that most people don't know about because they're swept under the carpet. You know, you see this CNN stuff, Michael, and it's been running like, oh, my God. Yeah, nonstop. It's, just, it's nonstop. It's fatiguing to see this propaganda. And heavy syndication. Yeah. And I must say, by the way, um, you know, I don't really like seeing the footage of the buildings falling down like that. You know, I don't like them falling in free fall speed. I don't like building seven looking the way it did. You know, even back then, 20 years ago, Seeing that footage being as young as I was, even back then I knew that it was all bullshit. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, kind of, I thought it was a little, I thought it was a little fishy the way these buildings sort of came down the way that they did, even back well, it's then. Funny that you say, it's funny that you say that, Michael, and I'm really impressed because I, I, I suspect that you were probably fairly young at that I was time, very young. You still had enough situational awareness to raise that question in your mind. And that's the problem in the United States of America. People need to learn to question things. They can't accept things for face value. Well, they can't. I mean, well, that, that's the problem it. though, Doug. You know, we lack. Self-awareness, we lack common sense, we lack discernment here in America. That's the biggest problem. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the European Union and their observations when they saw that building seven fall. They raised the bullshit flag and they said they, they questioned it immediately to the point where they dispatched a team from the University of uh, of Copenhagen in Denmark and Niels Herrick you know, led that team and they and they went to the site. They That's said, right. Come on. We were born at night, but not yes. last night. Seven hours later, and you're alleging it fell because of debris and fires from the other two buildings. It, you know, I was born at night, but not last night. And right? by the way, I'm glad so you said go- that. I'm glad you said you were born. Yes, I'm, this is just a segue. I just wanted to quickly mention that today is my mother's birthday, to be completely honest with you. And if she ever happens to listen to the show by um, who the hell knows, I just wanted to quickly say happy birthday to you, mother. I love you very much. And I'm very sad that 9-11 is your birthday, but here we are. Yeah. Well, happy birthday to your mom. Happy birthday to my mom, yes. Happy happy birthday. And I wasn't, and I'm not Australian, by the way, but I will tell you this. I was conceived in Las Vegas in the Circus Circus way up there on one of those high floors. (laughs) Yes, it's, it's very true. That's not a lie. Hey, I, I got I got married in Vegas myself, so I you know yeah I might have to do that myself. You were bringing up the collapse of buildings, and I see Richard Dillman, my friend who lives in Siberia, in the chat room here, talking about the fact that the twin towers, over a hundred stories tall, in less than eleven seconds, justifies that's right five hundred thousand tons of steel and concrete all the way to the surface without any resistance, both of them. Justified. There was no steel, big, huge debris pile at the base of the building after they collapsed. There was dust all over the place. What was in that dust, Dan? What did Niels Herrick find in that dust? Well, nanothermite they found in the debris field. But, uh, well, it's a substance that burns at a temperature of over 4,000 degrees. Wow. Yeah. 
Now, Rich is pointing out the debris pile was three stories high, and it should have been 26 stories high. It's based on the fact that the lower part of the structure is built much stronger than uh, the upper portion of the building, and it would have resisted falling all the way to the surface the way it did. Now, there's people that come in and say, hey, Judy Wood, directed energy weapon. That could be true. We know we know there was an explosion in the basement. Yes, we know uh, that. And, of course, where did all that debris go? Um, was Dick Cheney responsible for um, those huge trunks that we saw? Well, I don't know <laughs> who was, but you've got yes. Michael Chertoff, who is a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen whose mother was a founding member of the Mossad, was the assistant attorney general at the time, and he's the one that uh, ordered the steel to be shipped off to China without the forensic evidence being taken. I mean, they compromised the crime scene, the biggest crime scene in American history, right away with the trucks coming in there and hauling uh, away all the material. Indeed. Well, did you see the, uh, Dan and, and Michael, I don't know if you both, either of you saw the movie, uh, that was actually made on the, on the, uh, murder of Philip Marshall. I mean, I'm sorry, not Philip Marshall. Um, yeah, Philip Marshall. Um, Dan talked about Phil earlier and he wrote the books about 9-11. And there was actually a movie that, uh, was made about it and the whole crime scene was compromised to sustain the false narrative of his death being a murder suicide. Uh, that, that, I, you know, I, I was searching for the name of the movie. I watched it. It was quite interesting. Is it called Unthinkable? And, yes, that's it. That is it. I believe yeah. I did see that movie. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. actually a pretty good movie. A while and back. It was pretty, pretty apparent that uh, the crime scene was compromised. And, uh, who was the, uh, in the state of California at the time, um, who was the attorney general for the state of California? Uh, wasn't that Kamala Harris at that time? It might have been. I'm pretty sure it was. And they, they didn't even question the, uh, compromised, uh, the compromised crime scene. And, uh, the investigative, uh, journalist, who I believe was also a friend of Philip Marshall, he petitioned, you know, all the way to the, uh, Attorney General's Office of the State of California that this crime scene was compromised and that they need to have further investigation, but it fell in deaf ears. Yes, unthinkable for those that have not watched it. It's pretty good. Um, it's up it there. It's, it's a great film. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. Yeah, that is that is a very good one, and it's definitely worth watching. Another one that's worth watching, too, based on a true story, is uh, Official Secrets, you know, uh, pertaining to the United Kingdom G6 whistleblower, the G6 whistleblower movie, another whistleblower that whose life was destroyed because she uh, discovered evidence that the United Kingdom, like uh, the United States, invaded Iraq, falsely alleging weapons of mass destruction that never exist, but they gave them the green light to go ahead with the agenda that was uh, put forth. Yes, and of course, we didn't get to cover so many other things, by the way, like the truck bomb destined for the George Washington Bridge, another great little um, project from Assad. But again, that's a whole other story for a whole other show, and... Um, I believe, um, Dan, do you, did you have anything else to add before we wrap it up here? Anything you feel like we didn't get to cover at all? Well, we didn't really cover nanothermite, and I can real quickly talk about what happened there because it's part of the uh, evidence packages that the Lawyers Committee submitted to the U.S. Attorney in New York. But uh, I was just looking at the chat room here, and people were talking about uh, jet fuel, and the temperature, but uh, jet fuel only burns at a temperature of 1,500 degrees. 
and steel mills at a temperature of 2750. And there was molten iron seen pouring from the, uh, the building before they collapsed. And after the building collapsed, firemen said it was like working in a steel foundry because molten iron was flowing like lava for weeks or months after 9-11. So you, you have to ask yourself, where did that come from? The fuel did not cause the, the steel to melt. Well, Doug mentioned Niels Herrick, who I've talked to before. He's a 42-year chemistry, retired chemistry professor from the University of Copenhagen. And using the scientific method, he analyzed dust samples collected from the debris field of the World Trade Center and conclusively proved, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that nanothermite was, in fact, present in the debris field. That's so, right. And by the way, there's never that, – that whole building was designed to withhold something like that from happening. And the fact that for so – well, for six months after September 11th, the ground temperature varied, I believe, like 600 degrees Fahrenheit to like 1,500 degrees, maybe even higher. So, you know, you know, that's not something that's, um, I guess you could say natural. Yeah. Or normal, rather. Right. Should make you a little bit suspicious. You know, those of you out there that are normal, um, just think about that. Shouldn't that sort of make you scratch your head and say, well, that's, that's pretty unusual. Maybe thermite was used, and the fact that the whole building sort of well, let's go back to World Trade Set. Uh, let's go back to Tower Seven really quickly and just say, um, just look at the way it sort of fell into its own footprint. Right. Well said. Right. It's ridiculous. Yes. Well said. You know, but what you just said there, Michael, is uh, is is the last comment that I would. One of the last comments I would like to interject is that you know. Um, we need to question things. But if we do question things in the United States, it's spun on you. You know, it's it's spun on you if you question the safety and security of an airline. Uh, and then and then they try to build a case against you. And then they try to target your medical or your state of mind because you did this or right. said that, even though your credentials speak loud and clear for themselves. And that's and that's not even remotely possible. The, the narrative that they're trying to present. So, you know, what can we learn from 9-11? You know, we can learn to question these things, and we can also show respect for the uh, for the 3,000, almost 3,000 Americans that were murdered in the name of 9-11, and we can show respect for their, their lives and try to sustain a better future for the United States of America by restoring some sense of uh, meaning to words, truth, Honesty, integrity, justice. Try to restore some meaning to uh, enforcing regulatory agencies to actually do their job uh, without the undue influence of dark money as a result of Citizens United legislation that is also another product of 9-11. Uh, legalized bribery, unabashed legalized bribery. It's our duty to protect the flying public. And 9-11, the FAA and our government regulatory agencies have failed to protect the public by sustaining this false narrative. So, therefore, it is our duty, it is our responsibility, just like the Constitution says. It says when there's a train of abuses and usurpations that evince a design of despotism, which is hopelessness, against the people, it's their duty and their responsibility to throw off such government for what? It says their security. Our security as, as in, in humanity, not just as Americans, but in humanity, has been compromised 
by a corrupt government that targets their own citizens to enrich the 1%, the 1% for their higher agenda. We have to speak up as Americans. We have to defend truth. We have to defend honesty. And we have to make sure that we protect the flying public and the future of aviation for, to keep events like this from happening. This is our duty. This is our obligation. And for me, you know, just the example of not even being able to have access to a justice system after 22 years of service in the United States Air Force and spending over half a million dollars is abominable. It's absolutely abominable. And I can only hope that people that are listening to this broadcast would have a closer look at uh, Douglas Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, at Truth B, the letter B, told for all on Twitter. And, and look at my post and look at my link directly to the Supreme Court of the United States and see what the evolution of 9-11 has brought about. Oh, my. Injustice for none. Very good. Very well said there, Mr. Green. Really appreciate those kind words of wisdom there. You, you've been like a fountain of wealth here tonight, Doug, and, and Captain Dan Hanley. You're, both of you have been uh, very sharp tonight, as always. Oh, yeah. We've been all over the place as far as what we've talked about, but uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, and I really don't have any closing comments. I'm on Twitter at Dan Hanley 4 and I'm on Facebook at Dan Hanley. If you want to follow me there, uh, I'm very vocal. <laughs> very nice. And, piggy- and, and, and Michael, just, just to piggyback on what Dan just said, and I know I'm using that piggyback expression. That's okay. We, that. we like that here. Yeah. We like that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> But, but nonetheless, Dan and I are actually working collectively right now, um, not only uh, with the 911pilots.org, uh, uh, but also uh, creating a website to support whistleblowers across the nation in all areas of aviation, uh, whether they're pilots, whether they're mechanics, air traffic controllers, whatever the case may be. We're trying to uh, – we're in the process of creating a website and, uh, and, and highlighting the, uh, the actual crimes that are being committed against whistleblowers. They're trying to protect the security and freedom of the American people and the flying public. And there's still yet to come. But we will be highlighting, you know, uh, all the airlines that are, com- are compromising the safety in the industry. We'll be highlighting their practices. And we'll try to bring more exposure to this for the American people to see. Because if we can't access our own courts, which is, is very evident, uh, especially with the mountains of evidence that we have. Uh, if we can't access our courts, then we have no choice but to take this to the court of public opinion and let the people know the truth. Right. So that's our mission. We want to be truth tellers, and that's what we're going to do. That's so right. Michael, Very Michael, nice. I just want to say to you, you are the best. you got a great show. And I know your heart's in the right place, and God bless you. Thank you very much. And I just want to quickly add here that around 17,000 people were in the building when the um, planes hit there. And, of course, most of them made it out there safely. But, of course, lots of people did lose their lives out there. Nearly 3,000 people were killed at the uh, World Trade Center towers there. Bad times uh, for all. And, of course, we do want to respect the first responders out there and everyone out there that um, lost their lives or someone they loved on September 11th, a truly shocking event that has ruined America, to say the very least. And right now, we are being ruined again. Um, but that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I do want to thank both of you for being a part of the program, Captain Dan Handley and Mr. Doug Green. Both of you were awesome, and I hope both of you enjoyed the show here tonight. Yeah, I did. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Absolutely, Very nice. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank both of you yet again for being on the program, and we will do it again on the other side. 
Okay, Michael, you take care. All right, Sounds gentlemen. Sounds great, Michael. Connected. We're gonna we're gonna uh-huh. keep uh, we're gonna keep enforcing the safety and secure of the airline and make the sky safe for the all world travelers. Yes, and thank I do you. want to thank you, Dan, for all your hard work and going through all the trouble you have in your life. I know you've endured a hell of a journey. You know, you you lost. You lost everything you loved at one time, Dan, and you kept fighting. Your perseverance is amazing, and uh, you have lots of moxie. And Doug, same thing. You're a fighter, and you keep going. You uh, are not easily defeated in this world. Um, well, you know that those are very kind words, and just to, and just to acknowledge what you said about Dan Hanley, Captain Dan Hanley is one of the finest men I've ever met. He has the utmost integrity and honor. He is he is an endearing friend. He'd give you the shirt off his back, and he will not give up. He will not give up until his last dying breath. Well, thanks, Doug. I can say the same about you. Thank you very much. Very nice, gentlemen. We will all talk again on the other side. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Good night. Same to you, Michael. Good night. Bye-bye. And there they go, ladies and gentlemen. That was Captain Dan Hanley and Mr. Doug Green. That was a great time. I hope you all appreciate that very much. And, of course... I want to thank all of you out there for being a part of the program yet again as we take it home here tonight and pull this Larry Silverstein style. Oh, yes, it's all going down faster than a Chinese hospital here tonight. And again, I do want to thank all of you in the chat room. And of course, those of you that will listen later on on the podcast version of this program, simply search Michael Deacon. And yes, you will find the show right there. And I saw that comment about Art Bell. Yes, I I do have a fun story to tell you about him and a conversation I had with him a very long time ago. And this is probably the first time I will acknowledge that sort of thing. And uh, it will be the last time very soon. The next time you hear me, I will sort of mention that sort of thing. But uh, this isn't about me. This is about 9-11. And uh, my God, so many people wiped away. And of course, that started off the whole um, thing in the Middle East there. And of course, I lost um, plenty of friends out there for nothing, really. They died for a pointless cause. Terrible, right? Yes. And once again, happy birthday to my mother out there and happy birthday to all of you out there that were born on 9-11. Yeah, it's quite, it's something else. It's something else. And of course, if you want to sort of help the program in any way, join Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And yes, that's where gold falls from the sky. I promise there's lots of great episodes in there, and I will be adding more as the future rolls on through. And I feel like I owe all of you a bit of an explanation to where I was all this time. Let's just say I've been clearing my mind, and I'll explain more as we continue further on this journey. Yes, good, great show. I'm seeing all those messages there. Yes, it's been a good show. I hope you have enjoyed it. I really do. Once again... Please go to michaeldeacon.com for all future updates. And of course, if you want more content, please go to patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon. And yes, international listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia, Norway, and Brazil. It's been a top talent show yet again. And um, my God, I do want to thank all of you out there for supporting the program as long as many of you have. It's been a, uh, it's been a wild ride. What can I say? I'm blown away by all the support and the kind messages that I've received from all of you out there. Oh, yes, I really appreciate that. And before I let you go, I do want to thank all of you out there who have joined Patreon or have donated to the program. All of it is really appreciated. It all helps keep the lights on. Once again, 
Did you get scared? Did you get scared that I was going to leave? I was going to do an Irish goodbye there. But I thought, no, I can't hit them with the Irish goodbye and just close the show without saying goodbye. And I hope you missed me. I, I missed all of you out there very much. I really did. There's so much I can say, but I have to save this for another time. Yes, the next show I will have Mike Hideous on with me. He was MIA tonight. But don't worry, he'll be back. He'll be back, I swear to God. He will be back. Oh, yes. And it will be glorious. Once again, I do want to thank all of you out there for hanging out with me here tonight, those of you in the chat room. And, of course, those that listen in on the podcast rendition of this program, please join us one of these nights live. Call into the program. We would love to hear from all of you. Once again, there is nothing more frightening than reality. I hope you're well out there. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.